All right. <laughs> uh, I'm going to just talk for a few minutes. You guys can come down whenever you're ready. Uh, don't worry about that. I need this. I was thinking, you know, we looked at that passage, we read that passage, and one of the things I was thinking about that passage is that that passage teaches us some stuff oftentimes that we don't see readily in the sense that it's, it's not the way we've heard it talked about before. Because what this passage talks about is giving us a new perspective. It teaches us how God speaks to us and how we can learn to listen to him. That's what this passage, one of the things this passage is telling us. Because listening is tricky, right? Here's the thing. The reason that you are not listening, you don't know you're not listening. You don't understand that you're not listening. It's like if somebody says to you, hey, I just talk, said something to you. You didn't answer. And you look up from the TV or, or if, you're, if you're more refined, you look up from your book that you were in deep study of and you say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were talking to me. I didn't hear you. Right. See, this is the key to not listening. If you know you're not listening, you really are listening because you know you're not listening. But when you're not listening, you're clueless. And it's something to seek, serious to think about because sometimes maybe God's speaking to you. Maybe God's trying to talk to you. And we struggle with listening. And so I, I see some things here that I, I'd like to highlight. First of all, I, sometimes God gives us a message in unexpected ways, in ways we don't understand or we're not anticipating, we're not expecting. In that passage, in verse 17, it says, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. When the shepherds had seen the baby, they went and told people. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They were probably amazed. One of the reasons they were probably amazed is because they were shepherds. This is a key thought here. These shepherds, they got a vision. They got this spectacle. They saw glory. And what did everyone else in the town get? Shepherds. That's what they got for the message. They got shepherds. Shepherds were at the bottom of the ladder in that society. They were marginal. Their testimony was not valid in court because generally they were people of poor character. They were stereotyped as being drunks because what do they do all this time out in the fields? Nothing to do there but drink and sing songs and keep an eye on sheep, right? And so, God, so these, are, these are low people in the eyes of people in Israel. And God sends his message through these angels to shepherds. We all would love to hear angels. But unfortunately, most of the time, what we get is shepherds. That's what we get. What a poor way to send out an important message. Did you ever think about that? God chose shepherds for this message. That's crazy. That's not the way to get people to listen. But we see this all the time in the Bible. We see it with the shepherds. We see it with the women, the women at the tomb for the resurrection. Women were considered people who were not reliable. That You couldn't, couldn't uh, trust their testimony. God oftentimes sends messages to us through unlikely messengers, at least unlikely in our eyes, right? In the Old Testament, sometimes God spoke in incredible ways, burning bush. But oftentimes, it was like in, in 1 Kings 19 with Elijah. There was an earthquake, then there was this wind, and then all of a sudden, God spoke in a still, small voice, in the unexpected ways. He said, don't look for me in the earthquake. Don't look for me in the wind or the fire. I'm going to speak in a still, small voice. 
In the New Testament, Jesus gets his disciples together after he raises it, he's raised from the dead, and this ragtag group of deniers and quitters and cowards, he gives them 40 days to teach them everything that they want to know about, to, uh, to teach them what he thinks they need to know about. They can ask questions, they can do all those things, and then he leaves, and what do we get? We get them. We get the losers and the quitters and the cowards and the shepherds. That's who we get. That's where our Bible testimony is coming from. So occasionally people get a spectacle in the Bible, but most of us just get shepherds. So what does that mean? For most of us, what's the first way we hear about God? When we hear that we're weak and flawed and we need forgiveness, it often comes through someone we know, a friend, maybe a family member. And there's a huge temptation to dismiss the message, to ignore the message because of the flaws in the messenger. For most of us, the first way we hear about how much we need God is through a flawed messenger. And what happens? Someone tells you about your need of God and Jesus and about your sin problem and about your need to, for forgiveness. And the easiest thing to do is go, well, who are they to tell me that? They got, they got problems. They're not perfect. Why are you giving me this, all this stuff? That's how I was. Many of you may have had parents who tried to get you involved in church or believe in God. And because of the flaws in them, you, you did a non sequitur, right? You said, because they're a mess, what they are telling me can't be true. That that's the problem. That's the problem. In, it's interesting. My, one of my favorite passages is in the Old Testament in Numbers 22. It's a great story about Balaam's donkey, right? And God spoke to Balaam through a donkey. What does that teach us? Just because the messenger is an ass doesn't mean it's not the truth. We have to remember that. He speaks through flawed messengers. And we overlook this at our peril because sometimes messages from God come from the most flawed people. So we have to determine if it's God speaking regardless of the person who's communicating the message. There's another thought. We all want successes. God often sends failures. We want a smooth road, and God often leads us the rough way. We want achievements, but God mostly speaks through shepherds, not angels. When the apostle Paul was converted, Jesus came down to him and said, Paul, it is hard to kick against the goads. Now, that's a, that's a phrase that would be so familiar to them, but maybe not so much to us. What is it to kick against the goads? The goad was a sharp stick that a shepherd would use, and if a, if a lamb, a sheep, or a goat got out of the way, he'd poke them. In the, in the flanks, he'd poke them with that sharp stick to get them to go that way. And what would they do? They'd kick. Except the shepherd's like six feet away, so they never get the shepherd. And, G, and Jesus is saying to Paul, you're kicking and not connecting. Why? It's hard to kick against the goads. He says, you need, to, you need to listen to me. And we do that. Oftentimes we run to God when things get tough, you know, because we want to see a vision, but God sometimes is the one who sends the problem. We want to see an angel, but God sometimes sends a shepherd. He speaks to us through flawed individuals. He speaks to us through our problems. And the main way God can get across this message is through his Bible. And the Bible even fits this pattern. It shows up in people's lives. And when we get their, their writings, this incredibly human book that we have, it is divine and it is the truth. But it is like Jesus, veiled in flesh, the Godhead we see, right? The Bible is, it's very much personal writings by people that God has inspired to write. But it's still using their vocabulary. 
their life experiences, their metaphors, their puns, all those things. And it's a human book. You open it up and sometimes you don't quite figure out, but God says, just keep reading. Keep reading. I will reveal myself. So God gives us the Bible, not an angel. He gives us the Bible written by people who watched and saw what he did. And that's why he says to us, read it, study it, look at it, look at your problems, look at the flawed people around you. God is speaking, and unfortunately at times we may not be listening. Second thing that we can learn from this passage, sometimes what he says is not what we want to hear. In verse 14, it said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And we tend to have this idea that, of what God is telling us. We tend, to, we tend to shape sometimes scripture to fit our idea of what God is saying and we miss the message. Because people tend to think this a lot. I get this a lot from people. God is, basically they think God is saying, if you follow me and serve me and try really hard, I'll give you a peaceful and comfortable life. They think that's what that's talking about. But we tend to overlook one fact. Just look at Jesus. Look at his life. It is exactly the opposite of how that worked. And we tend to overlook that inconvenient truth. In the, new t- in the, in the passage we read, it says, peace, and, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. That word favor is a synonym for grace. And it's saying there is the availability of peace now. But if you have peace, if peace breaks out, what came before it? A war. And see, sometimes we don't like to hear this. This is saying there's a war going on between man and God. And now peace is available on those who will receive his grace. And that peace is news of something that has happened. Verse 15 says, then the angels had left them and when the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, has happened, past tense, which the Lord has told us about. This peace is available now. And for many of us, even though we don't say it, we know better than to say it, we kind of think, I should get a comfortable life if I'm really trying to follow God. That should be the natural way it works because I'm on his side. Even though that didn't happen for Jesus and Paul and just about all the disciples and any other great people that have really tried to follow God. See, the the best way to have a comfortable life is to cut corners. Maybe lie a bit here and there. Cheat on your taxes, son. I mean, they won't get you. You want a nice, easy life? I would say stay away from Jesus as much as you can. You won't get persecuted. You won't take unpopular positions. You won't have to make difficult moral decisions. You won't have to tell the truth when it costs you. It's easier that way. But the message of Christmas is saying, no, there's another way. You've been fighting God. You've been fighting God for his job. And the battle with God shows even in the fighting inside yourself and against others in your life, it breaks out all over. And the peace that is available to us is not because we try to get it. It's because God did it. Jesus has come to live and to die for you. That's what he did. It is received by grace. It is pure favor from him. And then we can be at peace with God. Peace with God does not guarantee a peaceful life. But think about this. This is an interesting way to understand your life. You've been fighting with God for his job. 
What do I mean by that? Well, let's talk about some common things we struggle with. Worry. Why are you worrying? Why do I worry? Why are we torn up with worry at times? Why? Because we're fighting God for the driver's seat. You think you know better than God how things should go. And so you worry that he's not going to make things work the way you think they should work to the outcome that you think is the best outcome. And what is that? That's saying, God, I want your job. I'm afraid you're not going to get it right. I'm afraid I will suffer. I'm afraid my family might suffer. I'm afraid I'll lose my stuff. See, worry is not failing God. It's fighting God. Another one we can struggle with oftentimes, resentment. When we hold a grudge, we're fighting with God for the role of judge. You think, I know, that, I know what that person deserves, and I'm going to rehearse it in my heart until it happens. But think about it. Do you know, really, what a person deserves? You know their whole life, from birth to the very moment that they have supposed offended you or hurt you in some way, possibly terribly. I understand that. But you can't know. And so when you're bitter and full of resentment, you're not failing God. You're fighting him for his job. And I talked to a guy one time and he said, I'm not fighting God. I'm a good moral person, better than most people. But what it, when you say that, what does that mean? That implies God owes me something. God owes me something. One time years ago at Christmas, the kids were looking under the tree. Our kids, and they would, they would count. I don't know if other... They would count the presents to see who was getting more than the other. They would count the presents. And one time, my oldest son said, two, I deserve more. And I was like, oh, man, let's make it one. You know, I'm like, you're going to tell me what, what you deserve. How about starting, let's say right now, you, you buy a house, you pay for the food. I'm sounding like one of those old guys now, all right? I, you know, when I was a kid, yeah. I just, it, it astounded me, the audacity of someone who was grifting off me their whole life, right? Suddenly telling me, I deserve this from you. I'm like, what have you done for me lately, pal? That was my thought. I didn't say that. I said, don't ever say that again. That's what I said, all right? And so that's what happens when we say, I'm a good person, I'm better than most. You know, you're saying God owes me this. And, and that means you've decided what I'm doing is enough to save my life. I'm, in my estimation, I got it all together. So all the anxiety in our life, all the problems, the internal struggles, the fear, the bitterness inside us, between us and others, it's all a sign. We're fighting God, and we want to be in charge. And the message is this, in this passage, peace with God is available. It's available through Jesus. The war can be over through Jesus Christ. So sometimes God gives us a message in unexpected ways. Sometimes what he says is not what we want to hear. Third point, and it's the last because I only do three. Listening to God is not always easy. This is something we can really learn. The message comes to all, but there are two different kind of listeners here. In verse 18, it says, and all who heard what the, what the uh, shepherd said, they were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. See, the crowd loved this. They loved the story. This is cool. This is so incredible. 
It was wonderful. They came to a Christmas service. And they said, it was wonderful. I loved it. And then they went home with, without being changed. And Luke is saying, Luke is saying they wondered and they marveled, but Mary changed. How did she change? It says she treasured and pondered. Treasured means to commit something to your memory, to memorize it, to value it, to cherish it. Ponder is an interesting word. It means to converse. In other words, she went back and forth. How can this be? I don't understand it, but this is what happened. Hey, this is crazy. This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit my worldview. This doesn't fit my moral view. This doesn't fit. She went back and forth. It, it means to allow, to ask questions about something. And this is what's kind of interesting. I was reading one Greek scholar, and he said it also means to allow something to ask questions of you, to allow something to pin you down and ask you questions. Now, what about you? It means to think through the implications. What does this tell us? If you want the Bible to speak to you, look at the text because it is telling us something. Luke is saying we must give ourselves to the Bible both objectively and subjectively, just like Mary did. Why mention that she memorized it? Well, I think it's because this wasn't written too long after the death of Christ. And so he's saying, you want to ask questions? She's alive. Mary was probably in her early 40s when Jesus started his ministry, maybe mid-40s which is, many of us will testify, is not the end of life. It's just the beginning of the downhill, I think, in some ways. But So she's around for a while, and she can answer questions. She knows, ask her. It's an interesting thing. He went out on a limb and said, yeah. Right? And Mary did this. She trusted it. She treasured. She pondered. This is informative thinking. What does it mean? To ask ourselves, what does this mean? And then, not just to ask what it means, but also to allow the text to challenge us. I listen to it, and then I think, what is it telling me? It may say, this is key. It may say, hey, here's something you have lost. Here's something you've, you've wandered away from. You need to come back to this. Here's something you have not thought much about. You haven't really wrestled with this. Wrestle with it. That's what treasuring is. If you treasure the word of the Lord, you will begin to treasure the Lord of the word. It will happen in your life. Now, I know we are Westerners. We grow up in a certain type of culture. We're taught that we're an accident. And the heart of ultimate reality is impersonal. There's no one to talk to. There's no one to listen to. There's no one that will listen to you. This is at the heart of ultimate reality. In the East, they will say, of course there's a God. But the God is all, you know, also, and I know I'm kind of generalizing here. The God is all, the all soul. He or she is everything. God is not personal. God is impersonal. He's the life force. When we die, we lose our personality and we go into the all soul. In other words, ultimate reality in the East is about like ultimate reality in the West. It's impersonal. There's no one to talk to. There's no one to listen to. What's the message of Christmas? At the heart of ultimate reality, is a person, a person. At the heart of ultimate reality, it's personal, it's relational. At the heart of ultimate reality is this love for us that showed itself by coming down, becoming a human being, communicating. And he has come to us, that's the message. And then the question becomes, are we listening? And are we understanding what he's saying to us? I love when we sang a thrill of hope, a 
a weary world rejoices. That always gets me because I can remember one time years and years ago, my, my brother was witnessing to me and didn't know the Lord. And he started sharing with me what it meant and what were the implications and all these things. And I can remember, I, I didn't believe it, but I can remember this little thrill, the sense of what if it's true? Then there is a new life that is available to me that Jesus Christ accomplished by being born as we're about to celebrate in two days and living a life that I couldn't live and dying on a cross for my sins and being raised from the dead to prove that he had power over death. There's a thrill of hope in that. A thrill of hope in knowing that my life can count for more than just what's going on right now. It's not just this how many every years we get, we grow up. I can remember in grade school, I always looked forward to middle school. When I was in middle school, I always looked forward to high school. I kept thinking, they're the cool people. Look how cool that is. And then I get there, I'm like, oh, look at that. That's cool. And then when I was in high school, it's college. Oh, I can't wait. That'll be so cool. And then after college, you'd be like, I'll get a job, right? That'll be so cool. I'll get married. That will be so cool. I'll have kids. That'll be so cool. I'll have 2.5 kids, and I'll have, you know, the two-car garage, and I have whatever it is now. I think we're at 1.75 kids now, but I, I, I totally, I'm not good at math, so I have five. And, and I, I kept thinking, this, this will be great. And then I'll get older. And then the kids will get out of the house. That will be so cool. But they keep coming back. And then, and then I'm at the end of my life. And what's left? And what's left? God says, there's lots more left. You can have a life that means something. You won't just consume resources and breathe air and build and, and hoard things and have a bank account and have a retirement account and have all this stuff. There's way more than that available to you. There's a thrill of hope in that. That's what Jesus offers. And the question he's asking is, are you listening? Maybe, maybe it's that first step of salvation. Maybe it's coming back after being away. Maybe it's, maybe it's just saying, hey, there's some things I know in my life. I need to change. I've got to listen to him. And then you experience again anew that thrill of hope and the weary world rejoices. There is a life available to me that means more than what I have now. And that is a great thing to be able to be a part of that living for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is true. And Lord, I pray that we'd be not like the crowd, but we'd be like Mary. We'd give your truth sustained attention. And Father, thank you that in so many ways, Jesus was just ordinary. He was like one of us. And yet we see he was not. He was so different. And he accomplished something for us that we could never do for ourselves. And so, Lord, help us to trust you objectively and subjectively. We pray that you would break through into our lives using your word. Because you are the God who speaks you are the God who is there, and you are not silent. And Father, this weekend, as we rejoice, as we celebrate the birth of your son, help us to remember why he came. And then the announcement when he came, that peace is now available for those who have found the grace of God. And Lord, we thank you that oftentimes you speak to us through ordinary people who have flaws just like us. You use them, and Lord, we give you the praise for that. Help us, help us to be different because of the birth of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.